We got some good stuff to get into today. We're going to talk about Yom Teruah today. And, uh, you know, it's important that we learn to discern the heart of the Father for our lives. And, and really, how do we start doing that? How do, we, how do we come to know what Yahweh wants for us? You know, many people talk about, you know, what's God's will for my life? I can tell you something very simple. We need to just be in the Word. We need to just read His Word. What is His will for your life? Let me, let me oversimplify it. Follow him. Just follow him. So how do we learn what he wants? How do we learn these things? Just get in the word and follow him. And so as we open the words, as we're reading, it teaches us how to discern. He imparts his spirit to us so that we can learn from him, but we're reading his word to learn to discern these things around us. You know, we learn life and death, blessing and cursing, how to choose the things and the paths that we are to go in. So these are the things that we get and when we just open the word and get in there. So when we get to things like the festivals and the feasts, if we're not in the word, then we may not catch their importance or their relevance. You know, a lot of people would say, okay, well, the festivals are important, but they're not relevant. I disagree. I disagree. I, th- I believe they're very relevant for our lives today because uh, back in Leviticus 23, Yahweh says, these are my festivals. These are my Moedim. These are, these are his times, his seasons that he set aside on the calendar to meet with us. And so if we do that. We put aside ourselves. We put aside our schedules. And let's just face it, you know, things kind of tend to crowd in on us, don't they? You know, things just happen, things go and just everything just kind of gets in there. And if, if we're not intentionally setting time aside for Yahweh, we lose that time, don't we? And that's part of the things that we learn with Yom Teruah. You know, with the spring festivals, what we learn is that the spring festivals talk about the work of Yeshua and his redemption and the things that he came for. I mean, Passover. What's Passover about? Redemption. Redeeming this people. Yahweh told Moshe, when I bring the people out of Mitzrayim, I redeem them. And so he brings them out, he redeems them. Then in this time frame of Pesach, we have multiple moed and in the same time frame. We have a Feast of Unleavened Bread and we have first fruits and Pesach all within the same week. Okay, so what we're learning here is it's about redemption, redeeming his people. Then, now that we're redeemed, what do we do? We learn to discern the leaven. We learn to live a sinless life. We learn to follow him in these things. And we rest in the fact that he is our first fruit that was presented to the Father. Amen? And if the first fruit is received and the first fruit is holy, then the entire batch and everything that is received is holy. So guess what, guys? Yeshua is our first fruit. He has been received and he is holy and he is set apart. And because of that, we are set apart. We are holy. We are his people. Amen? And then we come to Shavuot. All right, seven weeks and a day later, right? 50 days. So Shavuot, where Yahweh imparted not just his word, but we received his word by his spirit, by his ruach and his presence. Yahweh literally came down, stepped foot on the earth and spoke to all Israel. Nobody else can say that, guys. Nobody else can say that, well, our God spoke to us as an entire nation. <laughs> Only Israel. And so Yahweh spoke to his people there and he says that this is what we're looking at. This is my people. I'm giving you my word because I redeemed you and then I brought you to myself to teach you my ways, to teach us his heart, to teach us how to walk with him. So we have those spring moedim and then we have you know, these things with the summer and then, then we have the summer. What moedim are in the summer? Yeah, none. We're waiting for the fall ones, right? 
Yeah, so what, what, are, what are in the summer? Okay, what, is, what, is, what happens in the summer? One big thing, it's hot. Especially this year, right? It's hot. You know, record-breaking things all over the place. It's hot. So what happens when it gets hot? Oh, yeah, say that again. Oh, yeah, you go to sleep. You find, you find a shade tree, find something, climb up on a hammock, you know, and nap. Yes, nap sounds good. Nap is nice, right? <laughs> How do you guys like, oh, I could use a nap about now, you know, nap. Let's nap, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's learn to just rest in God. Let's just have a nap and, you know. No, that's, that's, that's the whole idea, guys, is that in the summer, you get lethargic. That's when the tests come. That's when everything that just happened at Shavuot, now you get the chance to walk in it. That's why the issue of the 12 spies, do you know when they went into the land? It was the season of the first ripe grapes. That was around June, July. That was around this time frame that we're, that we're looking in in the summer. So the summer is the time of testing. Will you take what you've been given and learn to walk in it? Will you take what Yahweh has established for you, his word, his ways, his heart, his spirit, learning to walk in covenant with him? Are you doing that in the summer? Let me rephrase it this way. Are you doing it when it gets hot? Are you doing it when you don't want to? Are you doing it when you just don't feel like it? Are you walking with him? Are you doing it? Because guess what? If you're not careful, the times will cut you off guard. And that takes us to Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah, there, there's no real specific date for Yom Teruah other than it's, it's the first day of the seventh month. So again, it's this looking forward with expectation, looking forward for the times and the seasons. And if we're not careful, we won't be paying attention when it gets here. That's one reason why, you know, Rosh Chodesh is important because we're acknowledging the, the times and the seasons and acknowledging when these things are coming and when they're ahead of us. We are knowing, we are expecting. When, when the time is ready and the time is right, we're looking to the heavens, waiting for the signs of Yahweh is coming, he is returning. And that's Yom Teruah, guys. When the time comes and it kind of gets sleepy, and we're kind of like, okay, are we there yet? Has, it's been long enough, or what's gonna happen? You know, in these times, what are we doing? Well, you know, I'm just gonna rest for a minute. You know what this makes me think of, guys? When Yeshua with his Talmudim, Yeshua with his disciples, and he goes and he goes away and he says, pray with me for an hour. And then he goes and he prays. I mean, guys, he's, he's, he knows what he's about to happen. He knows what he's about to face. And he wants his disciples to pray with him for an hour. He says, pray with me for an hour. And he goes and he comes back and he finds them all asleep. You're like, well, yeah, but Yeshua, come on, give us a break, man. It's, it's late. You had us up all for a dinner and you got, I mean, come on, we're tired. No, see, that's the point. That's exactly the point. Are we going to let the things of the world catch us off guard or are we going to follow him and be expectant and looking for him at the right time? He says, pray with me for an hour. And when the time came for that time, they were asleep. And guys, the thing I'm saying today with Yom Teruah, don't let these things catch us off guard. Because what Yahweh is going to do in the earth, he's going to do it through you. But it's gonna happen with or without you. And so we need to be ready. We need to turn our hearts toward the Father and be prepared for the things that he is doing in the earth, okay? So we got some things to get into. Let's do Matthew 25. 
We're going to talk to verses 1 through 13. It says, So the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. And when the, when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go gather from the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went, went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the ten other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour." A couple of things to note here, guys. You know, people, uh, whenever you hear this talked about a lot of times, people talk about, you know, you need to have the oil. And I agree, you need to have the oil, okay? Uh, because the fi- how long does the fire burn without the oil? <laughs> Not very long. You can get a good fire going, you can get it burning bright, but if you don't have the oil in the lamp, it's going to burn out. Okay, that oil is to keep the flame burning. And what do we know the oil represents in Scripture, represents anointing, represents uh, the Ruach, represents these things. And so we need to make sure that we are providing the oil. It was Israel's responsibility to provide the oil. Okay, so us as individuals were to go and provide the oil for the presence of Yahweh, to provide the oil for the menorah, to provide the oil for these things, to keep these things burning in our midst, okay? But the thing I want to point out is this. When the time came, who was awake? Yeah, say it louder. Nobody. Nobody. When the time came, who was awake? None of them. Every single one of them was asleep. And so when the time came, there was a cry. That cry, it's, it's a loud cry. It's, it's, some would say this would be related to the sound of a shofar, a cry. The word trua means a sound that is loud that splits the ears. That would be translated as a cry, wouldn't it? There was a shout, a cry, a loud noise went forward, and it was saying, get ready, prepare the way. The bridegroom is coming. And that's what Yom Teruah is about. Our king is coming. It is announcing our king, preparing, prepare the way, get ready. Our king is coming. And the fall Moedim, they all testify of his return, Yom Teruah, of, of when he is coming back. Then after that, there's 10 days later for Yom HaKippurim, Day of Atonement. What's he looking for? Have you been atoned for? Has there been atonement provided for you? Guess what, guys? We know, yes, Yeshua has provided atonement for us, okay? But that's what he's looking for. Have you been atoned for? This is a day of judgment. And on the side of judgment, you have been shown favorable, not because of who you are, but because of the one you were in covenant with, okay? So then we have Sukkot. Sukkot is a, is a marriage feast. Sukkot is a time of dwelling with Yahweh and a time of forever. It's a time of uh, entering into the new season to dwell with Yahweh. And it's a time that never ends. It's called the Feast of Ingathering, a time of, of preparing ourselves, preparing our hearts, and just getting ready to meet with Him and to dwell with Him as His bride for eternity. And what's the first of those? Yom Teruah. What's the idea? The loud cry. Get ready, prepare the way, the king is coming, okay? And that's what we're talking about here for Yom Teruah. Now, uh, from the book, from uh, Richard Booker, Here Comes the Bride, we read, once the groom's father gave the final approval to the inspection of the bridal chamber, the bridegroom would leave his father's house with his best man or friend to gather his bride. These men, along with many other companions, would travel to the bride's home, typically at night, carrying torches to light the dark streets, as mentioned in Jeremiah 25.10. 
Another reason for this custom is that the candles or torches represent light and joy, which was present at Mount Sinai at the wedding between Yahweh and Israel in Exodus 19, 16, 18. It tells us that the Israelites were accompanied by lightning and Yahweh was accompanied by fire. Couples today still use the candles at weddings for enhancing their joy. As they draw close to the bride's home, the men would blow trumpets, like sound the shofar, the year of jubilee, and they would shout, announcing the soon arrival of the bridegroom, sometimes even calling out the name of the bride. And the bride with her attendants would come out to meet the groom and enjoy his procession filled with musicians, singers, and dancers back to the prepared place where she and her beloved would enjoy their marriage supper together. And that's the idea we're looking at when we talk about Yom Teruah. We're talking about get ready, prepare the way, the king is coming. Are you ready to meet him? Are we going to follow him? Are we going to receive this, this atonement that he has given to us? Are we going to dwell with him forever? These are the things we're looking at. So the shofar sounds. Scripture says, how will someone know the sound? If, if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, how will people prepare themselves for battle? That's the idea. That's why there are different sounds of the trumpets that meant certain things. Okay, there was certain calls, as, a, as one example, for one call it called the leaders of the assemblies. For another call it would have the, those on the east, then they would, they would travel. And, and so there was some to gather, there was some to go, there was some for war. Let's use, this, let's use this as an example. What if you heard the sound of a trumpet and it was a call to battle and you thought it was the lunch bell? Yeah. <laughs> it's not gonna go well for you, is it? <laughs> See, there were certain calls that meant certain things. And so it was up to the people of Israel to learn to discern the voice of the shofar, to discern the voices that were being done so that they would receive their instruction in the, in the voices. So with that, there's four traditional sounds. There's four main sounds that are given. One is a tekiah. It's a blast. One long blast, a clear tone signifies rejoicing and hope. Then the shavarim, it's a broken sound, three short calls, like sighing. It's a reminder that we need to be broken before the coming king, that he will judge the earth. And then the teruach, the teruach is the alarm. It's a rapid series of nine or more staccato notes. It's like crying, a reminder to plead for mercy before the king who has come to judge the living and the dead. And then the tekiah gedolah. This is a single unbroken blast held as long as possible until John turns red in the face and passes out. Okay. <laughs> Close. <laughs> Close. All right. This is it's, it's 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 one long blast that just is just loud and it's just there. It's just one long blast and it's a reminder that at the sound of the last great trumpet sound, the king will be back with power and glory to rule forever. Now, guys, when Yahweh stepped foot on Mount Sinai, what is the testimony? That the voice of the shofar grew louder and louder, and it shook the earth. You know, we, we get from this, so here's a thought. So the sound of the shofar grew louder and louder and shook the earth. Whose shofar was that? It was Yahweh's shofar. When Yahweh blows the shofar, we need to listen, right? I mean, the shofar blast today, it gets our attention, right? Especially with the little ram's horn because it's that high pitch and it pierces, right? So it gets our attention, right? How much when God blows his shofar and shakes the earth with it? We'll get more back to that in a minute. So, the, so, so here we have the, 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 ten, the, ten, the 10 virgins, the five wise, the five foolish, and then they heard the cry and they got up and they trimmed their lamps. Like I said, guys, Sometimes 
the fire gets low. But the fire hadn't gone completely out because they trimmed it, they got it there, they got it, they got it fire going again right there, okay? Much like on the altar. You know that fire that was on the altar all night long? It was not to go out ever. The fire on the altar was to remain lit. And furthermore, who lit the altar? When the altar for the tabernacle, when it was lit, you know who lit it? God himself lit that altar. It says fire came out from before the Lord and hit that altar, hit those offerings and the sacrifices that were put on it. Yahweh consumed them. Yahweh put that fire on the altar. And that's the fire we got to keep burning. How do we keep it burning? Well, you got to make sure the right offerings are on it. And then you got to make sure that you keep wood on there. And you can't just throw wood on a fire, can you? You got to stack it so there's airflow in between the pieces of wood. Well, what's the air represent, guys? It's the Ruach. You got to make sure that when you're providing room for the fire to burn, that you're, that you're allowing enough room in your life for Yahweh to move. You're allowing the, the, the Yahweh to move in our midst and to do these things. The wood, the wood is you. <laughs> it's, it's these things in our life. It's, that's what feeds the fire. That's what fuels it when we lay ourselves on that altar. And, and it's just, that's what keeps it going. And then the ashes, what's reduced to ashes, removed from the altar and is put away and it's there and it's gone. It's the idea of yesterday is gone. The things that were there yesterday is no more. How many of you guys can take rest in the fact that, you know what, I can rest and thank Yahweh, yesterday is gone. Today it is new. Today is new. And that every day it's the same thing. Yesterday is gone. Today is new. Praise Yah's mercies are new to us every morning, Right? So here, so here, so now we're, we're doing this, we're at the altar, but you know, it's like with the oil as well. Like I said, with the oil from the menorah, it was Israel's responsibility to bring the oil for the use in the tabernacle. And how do we get the oil? Well, how do you get oil from the olive? It's pressed, it's pressed. And we can talk about that. We're not gonna really go into depth on that today, guys. But it's the idea of, you know, if you can crush an oil or crush an olive and get oil out of it, but then you gotta filter it, do a bunch of stuff, it's not gonna be real pure, okay? The best oil you get is from the first press out of the olive, which is, let's just say, easier than crushing it. <laughs> and that's the idea. When we yield ourselves to the Father, allow just a little bit of that press, and that's the purest form of oil that you're gonna get, is when we just hear his voice and just yield to it and let it, let it flow. So a couple examples in this, Exodus 27, 20, and 21, is where we see again, tell the people of Israel that they are to bring the pure olive oil for, for the uh, menorah, for the things that were used in there. Numbers 8, 1 through 3, same. Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you light the lamps of the seven lamps to give light over against the candlestick, Aaron did so, and he lighted the lamps thereof and the candlestick as Yahweh commanded Moshe. Aaron was to keep these things lit, but the oil that was provided there was done by Israel. And how did he keep these lit every day? He had to trim the wicks. He had to, he had to, make, he had to clean the cups. And he had to do these things to make sure that the, whatever the oil went in was clean too, right? Because if you have good oil and you put it in the cups that are soiled, well, what's it going to do to the fire? What's it going to do to the flame? It's going to be bad. It's, it's not going to be good. It'll be, yeah, and produce a lot of smoke, right? Black and it's a lot of smoke and everything. So you want a good fire, you want a good flame, you trim the wicks and you keep the, the cup clean and you keep good oil in there, all right? And so that produces a good fire. And then it says that the light shone in the face of, of, uh, of, of the, of the uh, menorah. 
Leviticus 24, 1 through 4, Yahweh said to Moshe, command the people of Israel, you are to bring pure oil from the olives. Again, we talked about this in Exodus 27, but the same thing's being reiterated in Leviticus 24. So just so you have those references, so you can go back and take a look at those. If you want to meditate a little further on that, you can do so. How many of you guys enjoy when I give you homework? <laughs> Truth be told, right? Okay. <laughs> All right. So, what are some of the traditional themes of Yom Teruah? Some of the things we're going to examine today. One, Israel will be gathered. What happens when the great shofar at the end of days is, is sounded? What's it going to do? Gather all his people. That's the idea. Gather the people from the four corners of the earth. How many scriptures do we have of prophecy throughout the, throughout the prophets, by the way, that talk about Yahweh gathering his people from the four corners of the earth? Talk about Yahweh gathering his people from wherever they are. Even if they're from the furthest reaches, he will still bring them back. And I like what Wes told, told in there earlier from Jeremiah, where he always says, I will plant them in this land. What land? Not America. <laughs> I will plant them in this land. What land? Israel. You ever wonder why he talks about the new Jerusalem? You know, where's it going to be, guys? <laughs> so bringing us back in here, and he says he will gather in people from all over the world, and he will bring them home, and we will be his people, and he will be our God. So Israel will be gathered. in the coronation day, you know, you ever wonder why when, when the kings would come, they would sound trumpets as the king came in? wonder where they might get that kind of concept. It's biblical. Okay, the trumpet sounds the king, and we know that as well, because when Yahweh stepped foot on Sinai, we heard the sound of the trumpets too, okay? So again, the trumpets, the shofars, they announce our king. Resurrection day, day of judgment, that's it as well. We hear the, hear the last great trumpet, and you hear the dividing of the people, right, in preparation for Yom Kippur, right? Has atonement been provided? There's judgment here. Which side of that atonement are you on? Right? And they separate the sheep and the goats. They separate the people, separate all the world. And then a day to remember the fathers and a day to blow the shofar and a day that the world was created. So tradition holds these are many different traditional themes. Uh, in the book, the Authorized Daily Prayer book from Block Publishing from the Hertz Sidor, it says, the messianic hope, resurrection, and the immortality of the soul are all intertwined with the message of the shofar. So the idea is when you hear the sound of the shofar, it's not just something to hear. It's something to rattle your bones. It's something to, to, to shake you to the core and to cause you to hear something else, to cause us to change and to cause us to prepare for what is about to happen. Numbers 29.1, there's not a lot said specifically in the Torah as far as what we are to do on Yom Teruah. Okay? But we have two passages of Scripture that tell us what is to be done on this day. Uh, Numbers 29.1 says, On the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. What's a holy convocation mean? A public assembly. Okay? It's, it's a, that's convocation. You're to do no ordinary work. And it's a day for you to what? Blow the trumpets. So what do we do on that day? Well, okay, we gather, we don't work, and we blow a trumpet. <laughs> God is so oppressive, isn't he? <laughs> See, I mean, th these are the basic things that we're looking at, okay? Now, next, in Leviticus 23, verses 23 to 25, Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with the blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. 
And you shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. So again, what we're looking here, this is a time, okay, day of solemn rest means, you know, you're not working. It is a memorial. We'll touch on that in a second. Proclaim with the blast of the trumpets, holy convocation. Not, don't do any kind of ordinary work. And then there were offerings that were given. Okay, so one of the things we see here is it's not exactly so much about you yourself blowing the shofar as it is you hearing the blast of the shofar. Now, if you're the one who blows it to do that, okay, but I'm just saying, that's the, that's the idea we're looking at. It's that you hear the sound of the shofar and that which is made. It is a memorial and it's proclaimed by the blast of the trumpet. Now, that's interesting phrasing. Zichron truah. Zichron truah. So the word zichron is from the word zakar. Zakar means a memorial or to remember. Now, the interesting thing about that word is when we say to remember something, we think, oh, I forgot. And I got a reminder, you know, that nowadays, you know, phone. <laughs> oh, I just got a reminder on my phone saying, I need to be here. You know, no, that's not it. It's not like God forgot that that was this day and he needed something to remind him of what's going to happen, okay? Biblically speaking, when we read the word zakar, a memorial, or that God remembered something, what it means is he acts on behalf of it. It means something is done because of something, okay? Even we think about this, when we use the word memorial, what are we doing? We are remembering something, so there is something that is done because of something that happened. This is what we're talking about with Yahweh. He remembers something in the idea of he is doing something because of what this day was. So, what happens here? This is a zichron hatrua. This is a day to remember or a memorial of the, the trua. Now, the word trua, it doesn't mean shofar, but trua is the sound that the shofar makes. The trua is the sound that comes forth from the shofar. Remember we talked about the, the different shouts, the different things that the shofar sounds? Trua is one of those sounds. Like we said as well, ruah means to split the ears with sound. This is a loud sound, the alarm that we are supposed to hear. Okay, so what are we remembering on this day? Well, here's one thing we can remember. Yahweh keeps covenant. Well, how do we make that connection? <laughs> how do we make that connection between, okay, so we hear the sound of a shofar, we hear the sound of the ram's horn, and it is to remind us that Yahweh keeps covenant? How, how do you figure? Uh, let's talk about Abraham. Talk about Abraham. Yahweh told Avram, through you, I will bless many nations, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. And he says, I will give you a son. And he did. Avraham had Yitzhak. Yitzhak had Yaakov. Yaakov had 12 sons. This became the nation of Israel. And this is who Yahweh affirmed covenant with. He made covenant with Avraham and says, through you, all the nations of the earth is going to be blessed. Through you and your seed, the son that I give you. And so when the time came, okay, you have this son, Itzhak. Yes, Yahweh, I have Itzhak. Thank you that you have provided me the son that you promised. Great, I want you to lay him down for me. Can you imagine? And guys, many people have thought, you know, you hear the stories and things being taught about Itzhak and they always picture him as like, some little kid, maybe even some teenager. No. By the time this happened, Itzhak would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 33 to 37 years old. Okay? He could have full well said, Dad, you're off your rocker. I ain't doing it. <laughs> All right? That's not what happened. Itzhak 
had to be willing to lay down his life, just as Avraham said, Yahweh promised, but Yahweh is asking. So as much as Abraham had to decide, this, you, this is the son of promise. This is the one that covenant was going to be given through. This is the one that was going to be life and all the nations are going to come to through this one. And if Yahweh is saying that this one has to die, then I fully well believe that he, Yahweh can resurrect him. Because this is the one who the promise is, which is a foreshadow of Yeshua, by the way, guys, if you haven't caught that yet. And so Yitzhak had to be willing to lay his life down as well. And so he laid his life down on the wood. And as he, he was put on the wood and he was bound to the wood, he's getting prepared to make offering. And, and uh, he was told, stop. And there was a ram in, thorn, in the thicket in the thorns with the horn caught in the thorns. And so what happened? The horn, the shofar, the ram's horn caught in the thorns. Tradition states that it was that, that the, the, these, this horn was given to Yahweh and it was this horn that he used at Sinai. And the other one will be used when he comes back. Wow. A lot to be said there, guys. So we're looking at here, the ram's horn and the binding of Yitzhak. It's a dedication of ourselves to the sanctification of his name. Why is the ram horn blown? The Holy One, blessed be he, said, blow the ram's horn in order that I will remember the binding of Yitzhak, the son of Avraham, so that I will consider it as if you have yourselves have bound yourselves to me. That's the idea that we're looking at here, guys. Yeshua laid his life down because of covenant so that we could have a place to enter into covenant and walk with him. This was a foreshadow of that. So we hear the sound of the shofar, hear the sound of the ram's horn. Remember, Yahweh keeps covenant. As well as this, heralds, heralds our king. The sound of the shofar is proclaiming our king is coming, get ready. The king is preparing the way to give in. The silver trumpets and the shofars work together, guys. The silver trumpets we see in Numbers 10, one and two. It says, Yahweh spoke to Moshe, and he said, make two trumpets hammered silver, one for yourself, uh, and they are for summoning the community for having the camp set out. So they would be summoning the community, have the camp set out, and when they would go to war, they would blow the, blow the silver trumpets, and uh, over the offerings, they would blow the silver trumpets. It says, though you do this, that God will remember you, and you go out. He remembers you. Guys, when you go into battle, it's always good to know that Yahweh remembers us, because <laughs> he said he goes before you. That, that, guess what, though? That means sometimes you're going to have to be on the battlefield. Right? He goes before you, and he says, you will see me deliver up your enemies. That means you're going to be on the battlefield with him. Okay? But Yahweh is faithful. Amen? When those trumpets sound and say, okay, it's time to go to war, Yahweh goes before us, and we hear that sound, and we follow him. Amen? Wherever our king goes, we follow. Right? Okay. So the voice like a trumpet is what we're looking at. The sound that a trumpet makes is called a voice, right? So that's what we're looking at, the voice like a trumpet. Where do we see this idea of a voice like a trumpet in relationship to people? We have uh, Isaiah 58, one, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet to declare to my people. Isaiah 40, verse three, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, which is leading of uh, Yohanan, right? And that's what he was proclaiming. John 1.23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah had said. 
So this is a day of the shofar and the day of shouting. We have in Zephaniah, Zephaniah 1, 15 and 16. It says, a day of wrath is that day, a day of distress, a day of anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Verse 16, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. That means when the sound is proclaimed that it's time to go to battle, we can rejoice knowing that Yahweh is the one who fights for us. And when the time comes for the judgment, we know that not because of us, but because of him, we have favor. We have mercy. We have his grace. Amen. Okay. Joel 2, 1 and 2. Same thing. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of Yahweh is coming. It is near. Again, this is another time. Proclaiming. So this is saying in the end of the things, in the end of the age, at the end of all this, Yahweh will proclaim by the sound of a trumpet. And at the same time, the shofar calls the exiles to return. At the same time, the sound of the shofar is calling those across the world, no matter where they are, to come home, to return to Yahweh and, and dwell with him. Isaiah 27, 12 and 13. In that day, from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, Yahweh will thresh out the grain and you will be gleaned one by one, people Israel. And in that day, a great trumpet will be blown and those who were lost in the land of Assyria, those who were driven out to the land of Egypt, those who will come, they will worship Yahweh on a holy mountain at Jerusalem. Those who were lost, those who were scattered into the world, those who have forgotten will be called and, and, and to say, come home. Isaiah 18.3. All you inhabitants of the world, you who dwell on the earth, when the signal is raised on the mountains, look, and when the trumpet is blown, hear. The signal that is raised on the mountains was the testimony of Yeshua. Much like Yeshua said, when the Son of Man be lifted up, just like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. He says, so he, when he is raised up, it is for all of us to look at him. When we look at him, we can't deny our sin. We can't deny the things that we've seen, we've experienced. But yet when we look at him, it's not, it's not the same that we see our sin, but we see that he bore it. That he took it from us. He paid the penalty for us. And so now we can dwell with him and we can, we can have that relationship with him. So he says, when the signal is raised up, look for it, look up to the mountains. And when you hear the shofar, look, hear it, receive it. Gather the exiles, Matthew 15, 24. Yeshua says, I was sent to whom? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 10, 6 and 7. Yeshua told us, tell me, Deem, go to the, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John eleven forty nine to 52. The idea is, you know, so the, the, the Pharisees and the political leaders, which was always the agenda, guys. It wasn't like the Pharisees. It was certain of the Pharisees who were after him, okay? So they were like, what are we gonna do about this guy, Yeshua? If, if things continue this way, then everyone's gonna come to, to believe in him. What are we gonna do? We can't have that. Because we have that, then the Romans are going to come and they're going to take away from us what we have. And no, we, we don't want that at all. What are we going to do with this guy? Well, Caiaphas, being the high priest, he spoke up. And what does he say? He says, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man would die than, than, for, uh, than for all the nation perish. And he didn't say this of his own accord. But being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Yeshua would die for that nation. But look at the next verse, verse 52 but not for that nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God that are scattered abroad. 
When Yeshua did this, it was a matter of gathering in all those that were scattered all over to bring them back and return them home. Guys, we know there's many pictures in the Torah, many pictures about what happens with the high priest, okay? And we know Yeshua as as being a high priest for us, uh, dealing with eternity, right? But understand this. If you're guilty, if you've shed blood, if you're guilty, then there was a place for someone to come and exact vengeance from you. This is what, this is what we're looking at, guys. The wages of sin is death. We're guilty. Okay? But yet there were cities of refuge that someone who had slain, someone who had shed blood, they could go to. The cities of refuge, there were six cities of refuge, six being the number for man. There were six cities of refuge. And they could stay there in this place. Even though they were guilty, they weren't, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, ill will and they weren't murderous. It's just they were guilty, like what we would call today manslaughter. They did it. They didn't intend to, but they did it. They were guilty. But if they went to these cities of refuge, they were safe. But something interesting happens. At the death of the high priest, all these that were in the cities of refuge could now go back home. When the high priest died, all those who were guilty no longer had to worry about the avenger of blood coming after them. The price had been paid, and it was done, and it was finished. When the high priest died, they could now be reinstated back home, back into the people of Israel, back to the land that was theirs, and back into life within the community. Essentially, they came back to life. That's what's being talked about here in John chapter 11. He says, so well, that's what Yeshua did. So it, it is better for us that one man die, but not just for this nation only, but for all Israel that was scattered abroad. So at, at Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection, guess what, guys? We now have means for all of the people of Yahweh, no matter where they are, to come back and return home. And we can do that in Yeshua. It's amazing pictures we have here. Daniel 7, 13 to 14. says, I kept watching the night visions and I saw coming with the clouds of heaven, someone like the son of man. Wow. And he approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. To him was given rulership, glory, and a kingdom so that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his rulership is an eternal rulership. He will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Wow. That, that's powerful, guys. That's powerful. Daniel 12, 1 through 3. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But the time of your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. When's the book open? When is the book looked at, right? We're talking about judgment here, right? And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake and come to everlasting life and some to shame and some to everlasting contempt. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Again, we're talking about a time of resurrection and a time of, uh, again, the time of judgment being separated, sheep and the goats, the righteous and the not righteous. Again, these are the things we're looking at where these are times that are given and times yet to be. It's, it's amazing testimonies what we have here. In the Perkei Mashiach, we read, again, traditional. What is this? It's a collection of traditional legends surrounding the events and the personalities which were associated with the end of the days and the final vindication of Israel. So let me put it this way, not scripture, commentary, okay? And to be received as such, but yet 
it's good for us sometimes to look at what other people say about the word. It's good for us to look at some things that people have said about other things and other events and things that have happened, especially if it's closer to the time of the period that it happened, <laughs> you know? So what are some of the things that we can learn here? Okay, these are set against the backdrop of the seventh century. In Perkei Mashiach, we read, the Messiah is crowned in conjunction with the resurrection. Would you agree with that? <laughs> He's crowned with the conjunction of the resurrection. Also, there's an order of the resurrection. Ephraim, Menashe ben Yo Messiah ben Yosef, the slain Messiah is alive once again. See that? The slain Messiah is alive again. Again, Yeshua is death, burial, and resurrection. It's testifying of who he was. And then uh, the resurrection of Adam, Abraham, and Isaac, and Yaakov, and Moshe, each of their respective order. Lastly, the second Adam is seen in between the lines of this passage as the descendant of Adam, the Messiah, who triumphs to restore man. Again, the second Adam who triumphs to restore man. Who's this talking about? Yeshua. And so we're seeing a time of a king coming, him being crowned in majesty, and a time of judgment. Matthew 24, 29 to 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Remember what we read in Daniel just a minute ago, right? And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. Wow. What day we're talking about possibly? And the day we're supposed to hear the trumpet call? Ezekiel 33 tells, tells us this. The word of Yahweh came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from among them and I make them their watchman. If he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, see that? So the watchman was supposed to do what to warn the people? Blow the trumpet to sound the alarm, prepare the people. There's, there's things that are happening, right? And then if, if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be upon his own head. The watchman sounded the alarm. The people did nothing. So whose fault is that? Who bore the responsibility of that? The watchman? No, the watchman proclaimed what he needed to proclaim and one man can't you know, protect everybody, right? He was telling people, get ready, things are happening, and no one turned. Again, this is a call, again, for repentance. Right? Verse 5. So he heard the sound of the trumpet. He did not take warning. His blood will be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any of them, the person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will be required at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear the word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. And that's it. We're supposed to, to sound the alarm. We're supposed to be the voice, like, the, like, like John, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Our, our voice is supposed to be a shofar. We're supposed to be crying out to proclaim the way of Yahweh. Get ready. Prepare the way. The king is coming. Get ready. Prepare our hearts. 1 Thessalonians 4.16. I'm going to look at a couple different translations here. It says, The Lord himself would descend from heaven with the cry of the command, the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. See that? Sound of the trumpet of God. In the CJB, it says that he will be rising and God so far. In the TLV, it says that the he will come with the voice of the archangel and with the blast of God's shofar. So Yahweh has a shofar. 
I wonder how big that one is. <laughs> I mean, it says that he spanned the universe with the palm of his hand. It says with the stretch of his hand, he's, he spanned the universe like this. We serve a big God. What is a shofar? In a most technical way, what is a shofar? Okay, essentially it's just dead skin. Okay, the, the horn, the, the, the ram's horn, essentially it's just dead skin. Okay, and they take it, they cut it, they clean it out, they do, and then they, they drill the hole and that's it, right? So the, 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 the shofar in itself doesn't make a sound. What's required to make a sound of the shofar? Breath. Breath. The ruach, the wind. So that's the idea. That's what we're looking at. The sound is produced when breath goes through it. The sound of the shofar is produced when the ruach, when the wind blows through it. So the sound that is made is dependent on the flesh yielding itself to allow the breath through it. The breath controls the sound. If the breath doesn't go through it, it doesn't make a sound. And so when God sounds his shofar, what's it going to sound like? Look, we saw it, Exodus 19.16. We talked about it, but I'm going to show you, okay? Exodus 19.16, we talked about Yahweh coming down on Mount Sinai and the sound of the shofar. It says, the very loud trumpet blast. The kol shofar hazak me'od. This is what we're looking at. And the kol is voice. And the voice of the shofar, hazak me'od, growing very strong. So the sound of the shofar that was being made is translated as a voice. So we have the ruach going through the shofar and the people heard the voice of Yahweh. Where else can we see God's shofar? Jericho. Look, they had to march seven days, right? And then on the seventh day, what were they supposed to do? Not going into deep into that story, we, we know it, right? But what were they supposed to do? You know, we tell the story, we're like, so they, they marched around it, and then they marched around seven times, and then when the time came, they were to sound the, 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 the priests were to blow the, blow the trumpets, and then all the people were to shout, and then the walls will fall, right? Okay, I'm not disputing that. That's what happened, but there's more to it. Okay, there always is, isn't there? <laughs> there's more to it. Look at this. So, Joshua 6.20, so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. The priests blew their trumpets, but the people didn't shout until they heard the voice of the trumpet. For those of you who think I'm, I'm stretching it here, I'll show you I'm not. <laughs> and, and the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. So look, look a little closer at this. This is what I want to show you. Where it says that it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. That's literally what we're looking at here. Okay. See in the Hebrew, say, I don't know if I can read it better up there where I have it here. Uh, so Beshafarot, that's plural, right? Shofar, ot. So they heard the sound of the shofars, the trumpets, okay? And then it came to pass that they heard et kol ha-shofar. So we have a picture here. Aleph Tav, voice, shofar. We have the Aleph Tav voice and the shofar. Who's shofar? What voice? What are we talking about? Look at this. 
And we talk about in the first language, they heard the trumpets, that's plural, shofrot. But then when it says they heard the aleph taf voice of the shofar, that's singular. So they heard these trumpets, but they didn't shout until they heard one specific trumpet. Whose was that? The one who had the et kol, the voice of Yahweh, the voice of Yahweh blowing through it. And then they shouted, I bet they did. And then the walls fell flat. So there's a time coming when Yahweh himself will sound the shofar over all his people. You see that in Zechariah 9, 11 to 16, where it says again, as the time of the blood of the covenant, I have sent forth you to the prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. Turn to the stronghold prisoners of hope, even today, so I declare, I will render double unto you. And when I have bent Judah for me, filled the bow with the frame, raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made the, the sword of the mighty man. And Yahweh will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth as lightning, and the Lord God will blow the shofar. And Yahweh shall defend them, and Yahweh will save them. So what are, the, what are the idea of the shofar sounds? What are some of the things we're looking at? The shofar is to call us to awaken. It's to call us to arise from our slumber. Arise from the dust. Arise, you who sleep. Arise, those who are dead, and gather. Come and prepare to hear the voice of Yahweh. Come and prepare to hear the voice of our king. There are 10 symbolic meanings for the sounding of the shofar. I'm going to go through them very quickly, okay? And if you want a copy of this, I can give you a copy of that. I don't have them today, but if you want it, I can give it to you. Uh, 10 symbolic meanings for the sound of the shofar. One, the day marks creation's beginning. Two, Rosh Hashanah means it's the head of the year. We know I'm not getting into debates here. We know there are different calendars within the, within the uh, calendar for Israel. Aviv being the biblical calendar being established for the Moedim and all the Moedim that were being given in uh, prophecy and times and seasons and all that. But this is given a time of, of in the fall of proclamation and even the times of Jubilee years and these things were declared in the fall. Okay, so again, we're looking at those as well. So Rosh Hashanah is the first of the 10 days of repentance. So again, the shofar is being sounded to tell us to prepare and repent and prepare our hearts and prepare the way. Okay, we um, surrender our hearts to Yahweh and forewarn the people. Three, to remind us of the stand at Mount Sinai, because we know this when Yahweh sounded his shofar at that point was at Sinai. Four, to remind us of the words of the Nevi'im, the prophets, which were to compare to the sounding of the shofar. Whoever hears the sound of the shofar or the call of the prophets and takes no warning. We just read that, right? So again, it's the call of the prophets to repent and prepare our hearts, prepare the way. Five, to remind us of the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. Where would they sound and proclaim the shofars from in Yerushalayim? From the temple, from, from the temple itself. They had a place where they would do that. So the trumpet blasting, when we hear the shofar sound, we're to pray to Yahweh for the rebuilding of a sanctuary. Six, to remind us through the sounding of a ram's horn, the binding of Itzhak, who offered his life to God. And then seven, when we hear the sound of the shofar, we're to fear, feel fear and trembling and are to humble ourselves before our creator. For this is the effect of the shofar, that it rouses fright and trembling as it is written, if a shofar sounded the city, the, shall the people not tremble. Eight, to recall and fear the forthcoming great day of judgment, as it is said, near is the great day of the Lord, near and exceedingly soon is the day of the shofar and shouting. Nine, 
to recall our faith in the future ingathering of Israel's dispersed and awaken our yearning for it. As it is said, and it shall be on that day, the great shofar will be sounded, and those who have perished in the land of Assyria, those who were dispersed in the land of Egypt, will come, from Isaiah 27. And 10, to recall our faith in the future resurrection of the dead. As it is said, all you inhabitants of the world and you who dwell on the earth, when the ensign is lifted on the mountains, you shall see, and when the shofar is sounded, you shall hear. So the 10th reason has to do with the resurrection of the dead. The tenth reason is to remind us of the revival of the dead, that we may believe it, as it says in Isaiah 18.3, all you inhabitants of the world, dwellers of the earth, when the ensign is lifted up, you hear it. When the shofar sounds, you hear that sound. And so that's what we're looking at. You know, we even, t- we even proclaim it, you know, uh, uh, at the beginning of the service, before we sound the shofar, sound the great shofar for our exiles to gather them. We, we sound the alarm, we sound the call to help gather the people. Ephesians 5, 14 to 17. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and the Messiah will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of Yahweh is. So we're looking at awake. Don't be found sleeping when the sound of the shofar comes. Awake, hear the call. First Corinthians 15, 15, 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last shofar, the shofar will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and will be changed. Uh, Herman Strack, in the, in the New Testament commentary from the Talmud and the Midrash, they put it this way. How will God revive the dead in the future world? God will take a great trumpet in his hand, thousand cubits long, according to the cubit of God, and he will blow into it. And its sound will go from one end of the world to the other. At the first trumpet blast, the whole earth will quake. At the second trumpet blast, the dust will separate from the earth surrounding it. And at the third trumpet blast, their bones will be gathered. At the fourth trumpet blast, their limbs will will grow warm. At the fifth trumpet blast, the skin will be drawn over them. At the sixth trumpet blast, the spirits and souls will enter their bodies. At the seventh trumpet blast, they will become the living and stand on their feet in their clothes. And it says, the Lord Yahweh will blow the trumpet. Yahweh Savaot will shield them. How many of you guys got a picture of Ezekiel's dry bones when we're reading that? That's the idea. That's the idea. To call us to awake and to gather. So what are we looking at here? To hear the call, prepare the way. Are we preparing the way for the kingdom to come? Or are we living in the kingdom here? And the answer is yes. <laughs> we are to prepare the way for the kingdom to come, but we are also praying daily, Yahweh, on earth as it is in heaven. Let us establish his kingdom here. Walk in his kingdom here. Seek first the kingdom of Yahweh and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Establish his kingdom here. Live it now. We don't have to wait till forever. Establish Yahweh in our hearts today and live in his ways today. What do we emphasize? To come or here? Both. A one-sided emphasis on the already now emphasizes the miracles, the healing, the victory of a sin, the gifts that God has given the church, but ignores the not yet, it may lead to disillusionment. Yeshua said there's tribulation is ahead. So if we're constantly looking in, the, in this manner, when life gets hard or things happen, people are going to fall from the faith because, oh, don't you know, we're not supposed to see anything like this. A symbol of discipleship Yeshua gave to his disciples is that of bearing a cross. The crown awaits the consummation. We live by faith, not by sight. 
So we still long for the perishable to become clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. In the meantime, we are called to endure to the end. So an emphasis on one day to come could lead to despair and a neglect of the joy and victory over sin and death. Someday it'll get better, but today's not that day. (laughs) It's not how we're supposed to live, is it? No, no, he has victory over death and there is a day it will be complete. But until then, we're looking to live in this now. The gate of Hades shall not overcome because the kingdom has come. We will be transformed in his likeness for his ever increasing glory. So what is Yom Teruah? Yom Teruah, it's a time to rejoice. It's a time to hear. It's a time to proclaim. It's a time to remember and act on behalf of Yahweh and on behalf of the kingdom of Yahweh. It's a time to proclaim his goodness and remember the good things that he has done. Remember, Yahweh keeps covenant and he has called us to overcome the things of this world. Amen? Amen. Psalm 98, 6, with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn, make a joyful noise before Yahweh. That's what we do. With the sound of the ram's horn, make and the trumpets make a joyful noise before Yahweh. Psalm 89, 15, blessed are the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, Yahweh, in the light of your countenance. That word there for joyful sound is teruah. So blessed are the people who know the teruah of Yahweh. They will walk in the light of his countenance. Blessed are those who hear the teruah of Yahweh. What's the teruah of Yahweh? The shofar call of Yahweh. Those who hear his voice and follow him. Lastly, Joel 2.1, blow the shofar in Zion, sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of Yahweh comes, and it is close at hand. Amen? Amen. Let us be a people that are faithful to proclaim the heart of the Father and call all people to him. Prepare ourselves, prepare the way. The King is coming.